0: It's a practice in giving the shame back.
1: Now, when you say that, the image that comes to my (laughs) mind is just (laughs) shaming everyone else so that you don't have to feel ashamed, which we just talked about being bad. So... No. I, no, I give,
2: I have the image of, like, a shame ball, and you're, like, serving
1: it back like a volleyball.
0: Oh, you're like, punt! Is that what you do? No. Yeah, I, I don't,
1: don't know. Th- I don't think punting don't is a thing in volleyball. <laughs> Welcome to the Multiamory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily.
0: And I'm Dedeker.
1: We believe in looking to
2: the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past.
0: So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging casually dating or if you just do relationships differently we see you and we're here for you
1: On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're continuing talking about shame in relationships. So if you haven't yet, be sure you go back and listen to part one of this, which was episode 281. And in this one, we're going to be continuing on. So last time we talked about why humans evolved to feel shame in the first place, some theories about that, how it can trip us up in our relationships. And then this week, we're going to be continuing that, talking about how that shows up specifically in non traditional relationships, as well as getting into some tools and techniques for counteracting the shame that we level at ourselves and also at our partners.
2: Yeah. So let's dive right in, shall we, and talk about how shame plays out in polyamory and other non traditional relationships. And this is a thing I think all three of us have felt at times. Within any like non-monogamous journey that we've been on, I know when I started doing that with you, Jace, there was a lot of like challenges that occurred and some of them we're going to talk about right now. Uh, Initially, there's like this indirect sort of external shame that comes from our culture at large for just like not having a quote unquote normal, like heteronormative, cisgender, monogamous, you know, total like normative relationship or whatever that that can definitely like give a person a lot of external shame that just sort of comes up especially when you're I think starting out in a
1: newly non-monogamous relationship yeah I think anytime you're doing something that's outside of what you think is normal even mm-hmm. if it's really not that normal it's outside of what you've been taught is normal there is that kind of feeling of shame especially before you have really gathered any evidence on your own of this working for you or of this being successful or feeling like you know what you're doing at least uh and it's that is really hard and i think this applies to other things too like like a decision to stay intentionally single or to uh be in a long-term committed relationship but not get married or not live together or not have kids or anything that's just sort of not the normal thing that everyone tells you you're only happy if you do these things that it's like anything that goes wrong you're gonna think oh gosh it's because I'm doing this weird thing and and other people are probably gonna think that too and tell you that and so that kind of compounds this internal shame then you also get that externally.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, so there are also these shameful archetypes that happen in our culture. So things like the philanderer, mm. the cuckold. The, the
1: player, I think, is more oh, yeah. how yeah. most people would think of the philanderer as the, the yeah. player.
2: He's such a player. Whoa. Yeah. 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 But almost, that's an interesting one because it can be shameful, but it also can be kind of like held up in our
1: community. Yeah,
2: sure.
0: Well, honestly, that's why I wrote down the philander rather than the player is because Mm. the player is like the the sometimes revered or admired side of that. Like the the philander, the playboy. Yes. And the philander is, you know, somebody's deadbeat husband who (laughs) keeps feeling up his secretary, you know, to go. I mean, I'm talking about archetypes here, stuff that's like been in our media and our culture and our stories for a long time, both in our like real life stories and in our fictional stories as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then on the. Yeah. Well, I guess. (laughs) No, just like the reason why I bring up the player thing, though, is at least from my experience that that is usually what's leveled against specifically men who are getting into non monogamy is calling them a player as a negative. So so that's why that one comes up for me. But I think both both work in terms of an archetype that has some negative things and can be used to shame someone
2: yeah and on the opposite side of that is the cuckold yeah. especially with men mm-hmm. in general right. and that this is like a oh okay this is a really bad thing to be called that your wife or your girlfriend or whomever is cheating on you and you have been cuckolded was that a, a
1: thing in shakespeare is oh, that yeah. where it first came about yeah i mean it was around longer than that but shakespeare talked about it a lot it makes lots of jokes it's very funny yeah very, 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 very funny. Funny. So funny very funny yeah <laughs> Uh But yeah, I mean, I think that is the
0: thing that I see often coming up with with often men specifically is that it's like even if you're, um, you know, consenting this and you want to be non monogamous and you're happy with this and you even consider yourself to be a feminist or stuff like that. But that like I see a lot of men dating women who that it's still this weird kind of struggle, I think, because of these really shameful archetypes, you know, of the cuckold of making yourself look as though you are
2: the cuckold. And I wonder if that's why things come up like uh, one penis policies. Oh, absolutely. Sort of hoping that that doesn't happen and that you don't have to face being thought of in that way or thinking of yourself in that way. So then it's like, well, my my partner is going to be dating a bunch of women and that's hot, but not men, because then I'll be a cuckold. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's there's I think with one penis policies, there's probably a
0: lot of moving parts involved generally, you know, at least philosophically and psychologically. But I do think that it definitely falls into the category of like the lengths that we will go to, to avoid having to feel any kind of shame.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, right. And yeah, and this episode is not about the roots of all those things, because that's kind of a whole other conversation. But the point of this episode is because those exist, because those archetypes or those beliefs or those cultural narratives exist... That that brings up shame if we start to see ourselves looking like those at all, right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I uh, and then there are like the housewife stuck at home that can bring up a lot of shame. Like yeah, while, that's some... while
1: their partner's out having yes with people. yes yeah, yeah that's Definitely. that's
2: one that's come up with my clients a lot again
1: kind of mm. same
0: circumstances like your brain can be like yeah i'm on board with this and this is fine and i totally agree to this and this is something i want to do but we still have this image usually directed at women not always at women of like being the idiot stuck at home totally clueless while your partner is out having a grand old time having a bunch of sex with other people and it's like yeah. that's a shameful archetype right. you know and it's so like it's like a
1: little bit exactly it the, so it's, the it's gender like a flip of that
0: even mm-hmm. slightly in appearance being in that position can sometimes bring up shame that you weren't even expecting
1: yeah
2: totally yeah and then also being the other woman that can be a really shameful archetype the homewrecker yeah Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah or right. or just
1: always being treated as less significant because, oh, you're just sort of the side piece or the whatever, you know, again, with the, with these sort of archetypes and these models we see all the time, it's like, oh, yeah, it must be that because that's the thing I've heard of. And this thing that you're trying to tell yourself that you're doing or that you're trying to tell other people you're doing, it's like, I've never heard of that, but I know this other thing that seems similar. So it must that must be it. And that has all yeah. that shame attached. Absolutely.
2: And then, so with these shameful archetypes that people might think of, and especially like when you're starting out as a non monogamous person, you can get a lot of flack and a lot of shame directly being thrown at you from your parents, from your family, uh, coworkers or friends, other partners assholes on the internet, like a bunch of people. Yeah. And I know personally, yeah, my one of my dearest, dearest friends and oldest friends, right when Jace and I were transitioning into becoming non-monogamous, she basically said or no, she did say like, well, Jace is not allowed to go to my wedding anymore. And, you know, we had a, a big, big falling out that we've only really repaired in the last couple of years Um, And so that lasted a very, very long time, just simply because of my choices in who I wanted to date and the amount of people that I wanted to date.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even on a scale of like for myself with some of my good friends, I didn't have that extreme of a negative reaction from them, but still some kind of dismissive and, and negative things like that for a few years at least. And it wasn't yeah. similarly, like later, luckily, got to a point where they sort of started to get it just by seeing me do it long enough and some conversations we had in the meantime. And then I also think culturally, maybe there's a little more awareness and acceptance of it now. But then later having that conversation of like, hey, so remember when you were first opening up and I said some things like this? Like, I'm, I'm sorry about that. That was... That was kind of shitty. Oh,
0: that's nice. Oh, that's good.
1: Yeah. So, like, I I would count that as, like, best case scenario. I mean, I guess best (laughs) Mm case is they're like, hey, me too. Great. Welcome to the club. (laughs) Well, I don't know about (laughs) best
2: case. but best case is just like, they're like, good job. I affirm you. Well done.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. But still, I thought that was pretty good.
2: Yeah. No, for sure. Dedeker, have you had anything like this from various people in your life? I'm sure you have. Oh,
0: geez. We really (laughs) got to go down that pathway, huh? Yeah. for me, it's mostly been... I don't know, so many things come rushing up when when you ask about that. Like, of course, family, you know, family having really a wide variety of reactions from being just like absolutely shocked and and flabbergasted and upset to just being really confused and almost I think the thing that gets me especially with my family is that it's like the family also kind of treats it like they're not sure if it's shameful inherently or not and so then the family's not sure do I ask about it do I not do I say something you know and then do that I can, shame her do I shame or do I not is she ashamed should I do I not should I avoid it because she's ashamed you know that's mm. also a part of it too that huh. can become kind of this like shame feedback loop that yeah. happens sometimes yeah, yeah. Interesting. and, and it, uh Yeah,
1: I just I think it's funny, though, how looking back now, it's it doesn't seem as bad. But at the time, particularly starting out when you don't just sort of have the experience of doing it a lot and kind of being used to those reactions, conviction, conviction or confidence or what or just like evidence to back up your confidence or because, you know, a lot of us will then put on a lot of like false confidence to make up for the fact that we don't actually have any of our own sort of. Proof behind it or evidence to back it up. It's just like I believe in this thing, and you kind of have to do that to a certain extent to sort of make it through.
2: Yeah, you know, fake it till you make it. We talked about
1: <laughs> right. that a lot, right? But it's interesting now, and I guess I'm saying this to be a little bit of a comfort if someone's hearing this section and being like, "Gosh, so it's horrible and this is a disaster. I don't think I can do this." Is that it does get better? Totally. Yeah.
0: So another particular way that shame can come up in non-traditional relationships is in the ways that we just shame the people that we love sometimes, yeah. you know, that like we covered this in in our part one, just about the ways that shame can show up just in our relationships and and how we can shame our partners by dismissing their feelings or discounting their perspective or, you know, throwing toxic criticism their way or neglect or things like that. And the same thing plays out in non-traditional relationships as well. The things that I see most often and that I've also participated in most often, often um, revolves around differences. You know, we talked about that in part one, that shame often comes up in response to stark differences that we notice between ourselves and another person. Um, So things like if you're in a relationship with someone and your approaches to dating other people is very different. A really common one is, well, I want long-term relationships and you just want one night stands and hookups. And that can be a point of shame. Either I can be like, oh gosh, maybe I shouldn't be wanting this kind of emotional connection. Maybe I shouldn't be longing for that. Maybe I need to be more like you, or it can manifest as I'm going to shame you because, because like, how dare you be so shallow or so superficial in your relationships? Clearly I'm the more enlightened one and you're the one who needs to get with the program. Similarly differences in how we approach sex as well um, you know so i can feel like oh well like you know sex just really isn't that important to me but you're the one who's a horn dog over here <laughs> and again i can either shame myself for that and be like oh gosh i need to get with the program i need to spruce up my sex drive or or bump up spruce my sex drive in up. some way spruce it up you know <laughs> yeah just a uh-huh. spritz here and there a little or, dusting or i can shame you for just like thinking with your genitals and being sex obsessed and you need to you know, I don't know, become more enlightened in that way.
1: Yeah. Or or both of those can go the opposite way as well. Right. Of like, I just want, you know, group sex, which is a normal thing for humans. And you want to like love someone else. That's why would you want that? Why am I mm-hmm. not enough for you? I'm going to shame you for it or feel ashamed myself that I'm not comfortable with it or that I don't want to do that and then with the same with the sex thing of like, well, I'm going to shame you. You must be sex negative, And that's why you don't want to do this. Or, you know, either one can go either way.
2: I got to say, even for like monogamous people out there, this is a thing that oh, yeah. one needs to figure out within their relationship as well, because if monogamy means something very different than your partner's type of monogamy, then that's yeah. going to rear its ugly head probably at some point in your relationship where those are at odds. Yeah, and one might be shamed or not. Well, I think I think
0: these do fall under the category of what the Gottmans call those perpetual problems. Of yeah, either this is a problem that is going to be a deal breaker and we need to cut ties, or you know change the relationship drastically in some way, or it's the kind of thing where we need to learn to accept. I'm different and you're different on this and we can learn to just accept being different and just find a way to make it work. Um, Another way that this comes up is sometimes you can see in couples that there can be an unintentionally competitive nature to dating outside the relationship. As in, I'm having trouble finding partners and you're not having any trouble finding partners you have a lot of partners you're going on a lot of dates so clearly like i'm doing something wrong you're doing something right or i'm losing and you're winning and that's a shameful i'm less place. sexy yes. less desirable yeah. than you are
2: yeah. yeah so that
0: can be shameful as well and then of course on the flip side then the partner who's having more quote-unquote success with finding partners can then also feel shamed and guilty for feeling like they're abandoning their partner you know or they're mm. going to have all this fun and their partner's not
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that then segues nicely into the last one that is shame tied to sort of how you're doing at it and then also how you identify with your different roles. So in that case, it could be this narrative of like, I'm doing this new thing, non-monogamy, and now I'm failing at it. Or like, Mm -hmm. of course, here I go, I'm failing again at another type of thing. Or I thought this was going to solve my problems and now I'm failing at it or I'm not perfect because I'm feeling jealousy or because I'm feeling competitive. It's like there can be like layers and layers of this sort of shaming on top of it. It's like, oh, I feel shame for this thing. And now I feel shame that I experienced that emotion about that thing. And it just can build on itself like that. Or this can also come up, I find, just kind of when you're starting to move into polyamorous communities or queer communities or anything like that of this. Well, I'm not queer enough or I'm not kinky enough to fit in or I'm, I'm not, not dating enough people to be considered polyamorous. Oh, yeah. Gosh, that one comes up a lot. Uh, yeah. That that feeling like, well, I want to be polyamorous, but I guess I can't be. And so feeling some like failure shame about that uh, or could be feeling depending on what your community around you is like. Maybe I'm too kinky. I'm too sexy not just for my partner but I'm for the too community sexy. I'm too
0: sexy for my hair i'm too <laughs> sexy for this polyamory potluck meetup
1: right right said for <laughs> these poly cocktails yeah. that are happening right now right, right. too too sex focused is what i was trying to say <laughs> um or or things uh you know i definitely experienced this from from men that i've talked to both in terms of Things like play parties or sex parties or in polyamory is this like, well, I can't get it up. And so therefore I'm failing my partner or there's something wrong with me or maybe this isn't the right thing for me or kind of putting a lot of judgments on something that actually has a whole host of other causes. And we've talked about that in in some previous episodes, but there's just a whole lot of ways that you can feel like I'm somehow not living up to a certain expectation outside of the like the big mainstream culture ones but then even within this smaller culture feeling like you're failing at those
2: yeah it's unfortunate all right well let's talk about some healthy and unhealthy shame which the idea of like healthy shame initially i was just wait what this is a thing but (laughs) but i guess it can be so okay it's super unrealistic out there to just think that there's going to be like a total obliteration of all shame from our lives, it's it's just probably not going to happen. Even the person who's like the most enlightened human on the planet is going to have shame occur for them at times. And also, it, you, we should think about this from a cultural standpoint, that cultures use shame in some form for socializing. We talked about this a little bit on the previous episode, that it comes up some... When our parents shame us and our kids feel shame because they want to receive love again from their parents. I know that this happened to me a lot when I was growing up. And so it's really evolutionarily ingrained within us. So Brene Brown, talking about her again, uh, she refers to healthy shame as guilt.
1: This is right. really interesting. To I've me. heard this before in other places, too, that like yeah. guilt
2: guilt versus shame. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, like there's guilt versus shame, and then others refer to it as healthy shame versus unhealthy shame. Uh, So healthy shame or guilt, this encourages us to take a pause for reassessment of the situation and our behavior, and then that allows us to move towards reengaging socially, either with like one person or I think on a greater scale, we're seeing this a lot right now, that like people maybe have time to, like, think about something and perhaps, like, make a change within their behavior and then readjust back into society, back into being, like, okay again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I like I like calling it healthy shame versus unhealthy shame as, as opposed, opposed to, to guilt. shame versus guilt. I, I like hmm. the distinction. I don't mind it, but I just think that from a linguistic standpoint, we throw out shame and guilt as interchangeable all the time in everyday speech, and... If I tell you, oh, I feel guilty or I feel ashamed, it's not immediately apparent, is this like toxic, unhealthy shame or is it healthy necessarily for me? You know, we don't really know until later on. And so that's why I like using that particular distinction. But for those of you listening, you know, especially if you're, you know, following Brene Brown stuff and things like that, that that's just be aware that that's a common distinction that that people make kind of based on her stuff. Mostly, I think of the, this kind of shame versus guilt. As far yeah. as using
1: words, it reminds me a little bit of the uh, jealousy versus envy mm-hmm. debates that that happen in non-monogamy circles, where well, some you people like
2: using the differences. I thought,
1: well, where that specifically, where I end up coming down on that is that in certain contexts, that can be nice to have two different words, especially if you're talking about the two things very close to each other, and and. In that case, jealousy and envy aren't just like one's good and one's bad. It's like, no, they're just kind of can be used to describe different things. However, I feel like in reality, like Dedeker was mentioning, you can't just say, oh, yeah, well, this means this and this means this. Because when you say it in any normal conversation with any person without like clarifying that right before talking about it, they mean the same thing and can be used interchangeably. So it's this... Yeah, that distinction can be useful in certain situations, but overall, it's not like by using the right one, suddenly everyone understands you in a way they didn't before. So
0: some of what can distinguish healthy shame from toxic shame is the ways that we, we react to it. You know, if in toxic shame, we do things like we talked about in part one, which is like, sinking into attacking ourselves or into attacking other people or into numbing or denying or withdrawing in some kind of way. Healthy shame reactions includes things like the ability to have self-compassion or the ability to be vulnerable with someone. That one's huge because I think like in moments when we feel ashamed, like just taking one of our non-monogamy examples of like I'm left at home while you're out on a date. And even though I agreed to this, I still feel shame. It's like even harder to then be vulnerable about that to your partner of just straight up honest of like, yeah, I'm just mm-hmm. feeling sad because I'm left at home. Yeah, You know that that's even harder. Um, but if you're able to tap into that and connect to that ability, to be vulnerable, that's an indicator that maybe it's more healthy shame or a healthier response to shame. It includes things like also recognition of our own limitations, feeling humility you know, being able to say like, "Wow, yeah, I tried that thing and it didn't work. Dang, I guess I have some limits."
1: Sometimes, but
2: <laughs> I appreciate that distinction between understanding your own limitations and having humility versus being like, "Wow, I I suck. Yeah, I'm terrible. I'm not attractive, Jace. I'm talking to you." <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> hmm.
2: All right, because uh, yeah, that tends to happen sometimes. Which it also happens with me too. Um, but yeah, I, I there is a nice distinction there. Right, I
1: remember things. This this is super random, so bear with me. But this reminds me of as a kid watching Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with Ooh, Kevin uh, Costner. Oh, uh, and uh, there's this scene. So you meet Friar Tuck, and when you meet him, he's he's drunk and he's being a jerk, and is all being pretentious and and rude and whatever. And then Robin and his Merry Men give him a good old fashioned whooping. And he, you know, ends up falling down on the ground and they like yoke him behind the cart and make him walk along. And then in the scene after that, I remember there's one where he's kind of walking along and he says, like, dear Lord, thank you for teaching me humility. And, (laughs) And I remember that really struck me as a kid. I guess it was like one of the first examples that jumped out to me of someone being intentionally embarrassed for something. And reacting to it of, yeah, I, I learned something here. I'm glad I learned that thing as opposed to now this is an enemy for life and I'm going to hate them because he ends up being on their side. So yeah. I thought that was it's just when you were talking about that, I thought about Friar Tuck for some reason. Oh, of yeah, this, I like that. Yeah, that's no, that, a good example. That's good. I like Definitely. that. That's a good
0: scene. Um, other cues of healthy shame involve feeling motivation to make amends or repair. You know, so this is kind of the shame that comes when you realize, oh, my goodness, like I have hurt somebody or I have messed up in some way and I feel motivated to try to fix it. Um, This can get murky because I do think sometimes we can just be motivated purely by I don't want to feel bad about this, you know, as opposed to I want to help this person heal or help them repair or, you know, yeah, make amends in that way. So that can get a little bit murky. But I do think that having the motivation Instead of kind of pulling away and hiding, I actually want to come out and help and apologize or try to fix this in some way is more of a healthy shame response. Also includes things like seeing the big picture, being able to have a better sense of scale, uh, I suppose, Mm. of kind of like where your transgressions fit in in the big picture You know, like having a sense of I I don't really know a better way to describe it. I don't know if I'm making sense to the two of you right now, but it's like a healthy shame response involves being able to just have a like a realistic sense of what's happened, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I think I, I had a sort of moment with my partner where I was upset about him not doing the dishes or whatever. We've talked about this and but the way in which like I told him that was pretty upsetting to him because he felt as though that was the way in which like his parents used to shame him for doing dishes and stuff like that. So I kind of had a bigger, broader sense of, okay, I know that like my individual telling him like, hey, I need help here is good for me, but I need to learn how to speak to him better than I did. And that's like the bigger overarching thing is that I like learned this thing about him in that moment, and that I felt a little bit of shame about it because I was like, "Fuck, I could have said this better, and I could have been nicer, and that sucks," um, and that like ultimately contributed to me understanding a little bit more about him. I think.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. It's kind of like being able to see the big picture of like not just your own feelings, but the other person's feelings yeah. and like the background and history here, and kind of how it all works together. Exactly. You no. Know? Yeah.
1: So now to take this and compare it back to what we were just talking about with some of the shame people can feel when they're starting out in non-monogamy or doing anything new or being in a new situation or a new community, that the these examples, which you can see here, you know, the healthy shame can involve sort of seeing the big picture and maybe identifying the sources for it. I almost would see not as like healthy shame itself, but a way to sort of cope with it in a healthy way, which we're going to get into more in the second half of this episode. But something worth pointing out is that I think that the the ones that you mentioned Dedeker about either recognizing your own limitation, learning humility or being motivated to make amends or repair, those are the ones that from the stuff we talked about last week about the evolutionary basis, that's what it's for. It's so that we feel this discomfort because we did something wrong. And so we want to seek to make it right. And so that, that doesn't quite apply with what we were talking about, about just feeling shame for who you are or something like that. So that's kind of an example where, just to sort of be clear, I feel like we kind of jumped from one topic to the other. So I just wanted to bring that up of that. Those are sort of shame over identity is kind of an example of something that I would say I, I can't think of a healthy version of that. I can't think of a healthy instance of that. Whereas shame over having done something wrong or missed something or misunderstood something and, and caused some hurt because of it or just embarrassed yourself because you didn't read the room or, you know, kind of whatever it is on a scale from large to small. The point of it is that it's supposed to motivate you to to try to make things better somehow.
2: Yeah, saying something... That was unacceptable to some people and then learning from that mistake, which I think is happening a lot currently in our society. And these are like good things to be potentially shamed about and then learn
1: from. So in the second half of our episode, we're going to talk about some techniques for counter shaming. When we're feeling this in ourselves, what can we do to encounter it healthfully Counter it and counter it and counter it <laughs> in a healthy way. Uh-huh. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show and to keep this content going and growing and making sure that this podcast is available for everyone for free. Ready for a spring break to remember? Amtrak's got just a ticket for you and your crew. With fares, you and your friends can save up to 60%. The more who travel, the more you save. Skip the hassle of driving through the Northeast while exploring D.C., Philly, New York, and Boston. No middle seats and plenty of legroom are just an Amtrak away. And with stops right in the heart of your favorite cities, you'll arrive downtown, not out of town. Saving start with three travelers, eight travelers required for 60% discount. Visit Amtrak.com sharefares to book. Restrictions may apply. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Struggling to get Wi-Fi in every room? Maybe it's time to switch to Fios Home Internet. Fios One Gig plans come with whole home Wi-Fi, so you get fast, reliable internet in every room at no extra charge. That way, you can power your devices, stream with ease, and stay connected to the things you love without worrying about what room you're in. With Fios Home Internet, every corner of your home is covered. Switch today. It's your Verizon.
0: All right, let's talk about counter spells of counter shaming. (sighs)
1: In we the love encounters. Yes, in the in encounters, the encounters against,
2: in the shame encounter. <laughs> wow, close encounter of the shame kind. Of the shameful oh, yeah. kinds. Yes,
0: yes. We do love, love counterspells on this show, though, in general. Definitely. Yeah. So first things first is that just recognizing that a shame response is coming up in you, I find is often key in releasing its hold on you. You know, so I think it's really important to take stock of the common shame responses we talked about earlier. Think about which ones tend to be your go to, you know, so the things we talked about in part one are things like we tend to attack ourselves with criticism or intense perfectionism, or we tend to attack other people by kind of pinning the shame on them or the blame on them or the critique on them. Or we can respond by completely withdrawing and just wanting to hide and just wanting to crawl under a table into a little hole uh, or we can respond with denial or numbing or self-medicating and stuff like that and so this is a really an opportunity you know once you've listened to this episode of just kind of be a scientist be a magical scientist and just uh-huh. take stock of you know what are the moments that shame comes up for you in your day-to-day life and I think you will be surprised how often it is.
2: Yeah. So once you do that and check out your own personal shame and how much it comes up, uh, then it's time to do some counter spells, some counter shaming phrases. So we're going to talk about a couple of phrases here that maybe you'll say to yourself uh, that you can try out. And it's good for you to kind of tailor these to your particular situation or your shame points. Make it and, personal.
0: And let me clarify also that. These are best deployed when you can acknowledge that this is like toxic shame coming up, as opposed to healthy shame. Like, you know, if you did something That's wrong, true. we don't want you to just be like, "Oh, it's okay." You know, I'm, I'm awesome counter- actually. Yeah, I'm awesome actually. <laughs> you know, like, hey, listen to that. But it's kind of if you've recognized that maybe yeah, someone's shaming you over your identity or something that happened to you, or you're shaming yourself over something that like this is probably
2: the the key moment to deploy counter shaming measures. Absolutely. All right. So here's one. I did the best that I could at the time, knowing what I did then. Hmm. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Especially when we're looking back on our younger selves and maybe having shameful moments about that. Like, wow, I was not as smart as I am now or (laughs) as knowledgeable about X, Y, and Z thing now. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, It's not my fault that that happened to me. How about that one? Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that shame often goes hand in hand with survivors of trauma quite often, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, where I don't think there's necessarily a lot of trauma survivors out there who directly go to like, I caused this to happen to me. But it's like your brain can come up with so many things of the ways that like I did not make the right choice or I did not get out of there in time or I trusted this person when I shouldn't have. You know, we already come from a very like victim blamey culture as it is. So it can be very easy to internalize that shame as well. And so... Having a counterphrase like that or, like, reminding yourself, like, no, it's not my fault that this happened to me. Yes. It can be helpful or something similar to that.
2: Absolutely. I. How about it's totally natural and understandable to feel this way. So, yeah, this is if you have feelings of anger or you're upset about something that is being done to you that is not OK, it's OK for you to be upset and to feel those feelings and have them fully. And to remind yourself
1: of that. Yeah, I think that's why we took the time to talk about a lot of examples of how this can show up in relationships and non-monogamy and about identities to just hopefully help notice that of, of, yeah, this is normal. This is natural. A lot of people feel this way. And it doesn't mean that something's wrong with me.
2: Yeah, any identity that you are. I OK, how about I learned a really important lesson from that?
1: Yeah, that's the instead
2: of total shame and like I suck. I'm <laughs> right. awful. You know what? This was a teachable moment.
1: That's the, this was a the learning Friar experience. Tuck, the Friar Tuck example. <laughs> exactly.
2: I I am doing the best that I can to live my ethic or my truth. My best self, my best life.
1: Uh huh. Et cetera.
0: This is one that I try to arm clients with sometimes because it's like like in that instance, let's say when you're at home and your partner's off on a date and maybe you are totally OK with it. and You're not feeling a lot of jealousy, but there's still this weird shame coming up hmm. that sometimes it is good to remind yourself like, you know, you know what? Like I'm rejecting these shameful archetypes that culture has given me and I am making the choices for me to live what I think is the right life for me. So, you know, kind of affirming phrases like that, that affirm the fact that, like, no, like, I'm making the choice that works for me and I'm not submitting to, you know, being shamed by other people.
1: Yeah, that's great.
2: How about I'm not alone in this struggle? Oh, that's yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's really necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not. There's so many who share in your struggle, whatever that may be, because we all have them. Right. And yeah. This is a really good thing to think about that you wrote here, Dedeker, which is that sometimes it's helpful to think of what you might say to a friend or to a child in order to counter, counteract this shame that happens because we tend to be a lot more forgiving and a lot kinder to those around us as opposed to ourselves internally. So it's good to like step outside of yourself in that moment and think about what you might say to a friend
0: Yeah. Give them the benefit
2: of the doubt. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I know some people who will go more woo woo with this and kind of go toward like, what would you say to your inner child? You know, like your inner five year old or whatever. And so sometimes people visualize that. But also just thinking about like, what would you say to your child who is in a similar circumstance? I mean, maybe they can't Mm -hmm. be an identical circumstance, but if they're just like feeling shame about, yeah, I'm left at home and my friends are off playing, you know, like, what would you say (laughs) to them? to yeah. comfort them and encourage them. What would you say to your partner who's feeling this way or to a close friend that, that can help uh, grease the wheels, as it were, to make it a little bit easier to think about the stuff that you might want to say to
1: yourself? Yeah. If you want some more ideas about ways to exercise self-compassion, if you go to episode 274, we talk a lot more about just self-compassion in general, and that's definitely something that can help in these cases once you've recognized that it's shame feelings that's coming up. and then. Along with that, like we said at the beginning, the point is not to say, no, no, never mind, shame, I'm fine, everything's fine, but is to take stock of what's going on and ask yourself, are there some things that I could be doing to make things right? Are there things that I'm willing to do to make things right? What are those? And part of that is also asking, is there maybe Nothing that I can do to fix the thing that's already happened, but what can I be doing to make this not happen again in the future or to make things better in the future or to be more compassionate or more aware in the future? So you're kind of seeing what which of those are true and which ones can you do.
0: I think that's super relevant when it comes to any kind of activism or social justice work. You know, Mm, I think really easy low hanging fruit is to talk about things like white guilt or white shame, which I think often white guilt, as we see it, is like white people kind of recognize and like, oh, wow, things are bad. Things have been bad for a long time. And I'm just waking up to it. And we can go into that unhealthy shame response of like either just attacking yourself. You know, like oh my god, I'm so bad. I'm a part of this oppressive group of people, and I'm just like so terrible. Or attacking other people, or the withdrawal, or the denying—like all the bad responses mm-hmm.
1: that I think and we see. And then ultimately not doing anything. And then ultimately not doing anything. Change. You know, yeah. I think that's why yeah. white
0: guilt gets tossed up as like this is not useful. Your white tears are not useful to me. Totally. You know, um, yeah. versus being able to both carry some self-compassion as well as, like Jace was saying, you know, taking stock of like, okay, well, what are the things that I can do or that I am willing to do. You know, to help make things right. Yeah. Now, this last one is a big one. And basically, it's a practice in giving the shame back.
1: Now, when you say that, the image that comes to my mind is just (laughs) shaming everyone else so that you don't have to feel ashamed, which we just talked about being bad. So... What no, is this? I, no, I give.
2: I have the image of like a shame ball and you're like serving it back like a volleyball. Oh, you're
0: like punt. Is that what you do? No,
1: yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think punting <laughs> don't is a thing in volleyball. <laughs> I
2: don't know what it is a thing in, but yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So no, it's not about if someone shames you, you're just like, well, no, 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 I'm going to shame you right back. It's not that. This is a little bit more of a meditative exercise, a visualization exercise. Um, I know a lot of therapists who do this kind of work, but It can be just really helpful to ask yourself if you're feeling some kind of unhealthy shame coming up in you, it's really helpful to ask, where did this shame come from and who gave this to me? Some variation Mm. on that. And I know for me, whenever I ask myself that question... It's very evocative of often I can just bring the exact memory to mind of the first time I felt that I was shamed for this thing that Hmm. I want to do or being this particular way or carrying this particular identity, you know, and there's so many things I think for me, especially with like sex, where I've realized like all this shame that I carry about particular sexual practices never came from me. They 100% came from all these other people. You know, so sometimes that can just be a real brain buster in and of itself of realizing that, like, you've received the shame from someone or from something. And it can be helpful to do a deep meditative visualization of handing the shame back to that person, to that place, to that thing. Not even necessarily in an aggressive way or in a violent way, but just like, hey, this isn't mine. It's is actually yours. How about you take it and you carry yes. it and deal with it? You know, wow. that's really and cool. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, not like that's going to be necessarily a super duper magic spell that's going to make it all go away. But I do find that it, it can be helpful to help alleviate some of that heaviness.
2: Well, even going there in your mind and understanding where these things originated from, that's really huge. Because I don't think that we we think about that very often. We just think about the moment in time where we feel shame, which right? is right then or you know, continuous uh, a pattern. So that's very interesting. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, that's that's great. I want to I want to give that a try. I feel like mm-hmm. the one I've been more familiar with is the one of talking to like your inner child, like you mentioned earlier, and kind of, I guess, similarly going back to like, when did this shame start and talking to the you at that point? Uh, but I like this idea of, of giving it back to that's interesting, like finding the source rather than just talking to yourself, your younger self and that's that's relevant to something that i wanted to mention here on this topic too of <clears throat> i guess what i find with with any uncomfortable thing like we made the analogy in the last episode of shame being to our social world what pain is to our physical world it's a this quick indication of you need to do something different to stop this pain from happening but with shame sometimes like we we're saying sometimes there's not something that you can do to fix the thing that's already happened. And you can end up in this situation where even if you're aware that it's shame and you've thought about what could I do to make this better? And it's, well, I can't do anything to fix what already happened without actually making it worse and hurting people more. You know, like this is something that, that comes up in the 12 step programs and stuff like that is during the step of making amends, you don't want to cause more harm while doing that and sometimes even right after the fact going and apologizing for something could open that up and make that fresh for that other person uh especially if it's a situation where they were like don't ever talk to me again because of this thing for you to then break that to go and apologize to them you know that's that's a tricky situation and so in real life you do end up in situations where you just kind of have to live with it and i think that's where these exercises of talking to either your inner child or finding ways to hand that shame back, not to the person who you wronged, but to whoever later on equated that with you being a bad person with you, you know, being a bad person, not just doing something wrong. Um, and it reminds me again, weird, um, all sorts of stream of consciousness on this one. Uh, but it reminds me uh, when I was younger and my, Half brother was real young, maybe two or three, something like that. And there was something that he wanted to do, but he kept like messing with my stuff. And finally, I was like, "Okay, like, can do this, but only if you stop being bad." And and my stepmom was like, "Hey, don't don't say that to him. Don't ever don't ever say that he's being bad, but just that he's doing something that's bad." And for her, that distinction was important. And I was like, "Yeah." that's the part we all miss about each other and about ourselves mm-hmm. when we think about doing something bad makes you a bad person.
2: Yeah, this I uh, reminds me of the book that I just finished so you want to talk about race and talking about how like the Walt Whitman quote Dedeker that oh, we contain multitudes. One? Oh yeah. Yeah, and just that that so many of us yeah, we we all are going to do bad things in our life but we also will hopefully do things that You know, make up for that maybe in ways, and maybe they can't always totally make up for something, but we are both. We have things that we have done that have been bad, and we have things that we've done that have been great. And that is the case for all of us. So to know that when we think about shame, I think is very important because, yeah, there can be these moments that live with us forever, perhaps, that we are feeling shame about, but know that we also have these other sides of us that that do great things and that's good to to recognize both in ourselves and in others.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean I think there's no certain amount of shame that again like we said, you know, pretty much every culture on the planet uses shame to socialize in some way because it is effective. You Mm -hmm. know, that like the shame that we carry for doing something bad in the past can be the thing that prevents us from doing it again. Oh, yeah. You know, that teaches that lesson like 100 percent, you know. So, again, I mean, that's why we have to reiterate that this is not about just never feel shame about anything and completely obliterate it from your life.
2: It's probably healthy to do so. So let's talk about healthy shaming. So none of what we're talking about today means that you should never stand up for yourself and your relationships Or that you should never disagree with your partner over differences that the two of you have. Or that you shouldn't, like, say anything or do anything that might make your partner feel uncomfortable or ashamed. Because that will happen. That will come up. And so we can't, as people, be totally free of shame. And it's unlikely that we'll be able to go through our relationships while maintaining that our partner never... Feels any type of shame in their in their lives and in this relationship, but it's important to make sure that we're mostly seeing healthy shame responses in a relationship rather than like toxic, overbearing, upsetting, angry shame responses or toxic shaming of one another. Yeah, basically, what I don't want to have
0: happen is I anticipate people being like, like if your partner calls you out on something. And you feel ashamed about it. That I don't want the knee jerk reaction to be like, "You're shaming me. Stop that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not allowed to criticize me, or, or you're not allowed to ever say what you want or disagree with me or stuff like that because that makes me feel ashamed. Like, don't weaponize this shit. Yeah, yeah. Unofficial motto of the multi-emery podcast. Um, so this is it gets a little bit subtle and a little bit nuanced and a little bit tricky. And I'm gonna propose a test
1: to the okay. both of you. Okay.
0: Or maybe let's make it into a game show. Ba-da, ba-da, da, da. Is it healthy shaming or is it toxic shaming?
1: And that's the audience the studio. I I'm, oh, awesome. yeah, I'm,
0: ah, okay. I'm your host, Dedeker Winston. Ba-da, 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 Welcome. Ba-da, 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 Come on down, Emily and Jace, to oh this episode oh, of Healthy Shaming boy. versus Toxic Shaming. Oh, so oh I'm glad to be
1: here. <laughs> Shout out to my mom. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what people say when they get up on game shows. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you a little story. Almost, almost based on a real life experience of mine. Um, and I'm going to use me and Jace as the, as the players in this story. Almost as an based example. on a real experience. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. not. I promise. I almost. promise you this is not. <laughs> I've really doinked this already. Jeez. Okay. I'm going to tell this story. I promise it's not actually based on a real experience I've had with Jace, but in another relationship but I'm just going to
2: use the name Jace because (laughs) everybody knows who that person is. Jeez.
0: Okay. Can I make this any more confusing? I wonder.
1: I'm confused. Am I on the game show or am I (laughs) I in the game? (laughs) You're both. You're
2: you're somehow miraculously in the game show and the game.
0: Okay. Never mind. Scrap the game show. Poof. The game show is gone. I'm just going to tell this story. So, okay. Let's say, all right. So, Jace and I parted ways. Jace was heading off to a date and um, I had other plans that night. You know, I was just going to stay at home that night. Now Jace comes home from his date, let's say like three hours later. And I'm visibly upset. And I say to Jace, like when you left your date, like you took, our only house key with us. And I've been locked out of the house this whole time. So I've been here for like three hours. I tried calling you and I tried texting you and you didn't see my messages and you didn't check your phone and I've been stuck outside the house. And I finally had to break into the house waiting for you to get back.
2: Dang. How did you okay. break in?
0: That's All badass. Right. That's not important. <laughs> Jace. <laughs> this is not a real story. Okay. <laughs> it is a real story, it but not but regarding not. you. You're
1: right. You're right. It's so okay. Jace,
0: how are you feeling?
1: Super guilty.
0: yeah Yeah? are you feeling some shame
1: oh yeah so much shame oh okay here's the
0: question was that toxic shaming or was that healthy shaming
2: (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) i mean you were just Mm -hmm. stating facts you were like you didn't check your Mm -hmm. phone and i've been sitting outside and Mm -hmm. that sucked damn it Mm And I had to break in. Wow! Now we have a broken window, and it's all your fault, asshole.
1: No, I'm kidding. Well, okay, yeah, you're right. So I would say I would say healthy because there were no judgments made about like you're a bad person or the date was bad, but that this happened to me and I was stuck here, and so I'm upset about it. I don't know trick
0: question. Think. Actually, there's no shaming at all. No, there's shaming oh, um, because there shaming. you felt shame. No, this is a trick question because the answer is that we don't. Know yet if it's toxic shaming or if it's healthy shaming? Because the important part is what happens right after this moment.
2: Right? Oh boy, what happened? Right? Okay, what happened? Well,
0: because is it I then spend the rest of the evening giving Jace a silent treatment mm. and grump grump grumping at him? Mm. You know, or is it like we sit down? Just like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, you didn't mean to. I know it was just like annoying and and I was upset. But let's find a way. Let's make a second house key for. For some reason, we don't have one.
1: Um, <laughs> right.
2: you, know. you have the one coffee. <laughs> How dare we've, you? We've
0: stayed in some places together where they only give us one house key. That's true. Yeah. Or manage.
1: Airbnbs sometimes will do that. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, um, you know, or did we sit down and like work it out and then reconnect? And we're like, OK, let's go cuddle on the couch and watch a movie or something like that for the rest of the evening. Mm-hmm. So, so ultimately. <laughs> healthy shaming emphasizes repairing the bridge and the connection between the two of us to give a big callback to the beginning of part one where he talked about um you know that psychologist defined shame as like the response to like when the interpersonal bridge is broken that healthy shaming can happen but it's so important that that bridge is restored i think this is really really apparent with parenting specifically Mm. you know Um, because of course it's like intentionally or not your kids are going to feel shame in some kind of way because of the fact that you need to discipline and socialize and tell them what's wrong and what's right and no you can't run naked in the street and stuff like that and so they're going (sighs) to feel shame but like if the connection is never restored if the attachment is never really restored that that can really devolve into kind of a more toxic shame response does that make sense
1: yeah
2: yeah
0: yeah. But I didn't
2: appreciate your trick question. <laughs> I think you should feel <laughs> shame
1: about
0: it. No, I'm kidding. I do feel a little shame that I was a little bit uh, sneaky.
1: Mm. With okay. you
0: making this fake game show and everything, just to lure you into my trap.
1: <laughs> I know, and then pulled the game show out from under us. Right at the last <laughs> there was a lot, of, a lot of things to shamble over, <laughs> So,
0: okay, what I want to leave y'all with is I'm going to read this quote by Brett Lyons, who is one of the therapists who runs the Center for Healing Shame in Berkeley. Um, uh, he said. How can you tell whether your attempt to discipline or get what you want is toxic or healthy? When we're engaged in toxic shaming, we tend to be indifferent to or annoyed with the reaction it produces. There's a lack of concern for the child or adult being shamed. We repeat the shaming words often, like a broken record, and we don't make an effort to repair the broken connection. Healthy shaming is occasional, carefully done, and any broken connection is quickly restored. Whew.
1: Oof.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, I, so that's why I don't want people to feel like you can never disagree or you can never, you know, have complaints about a partner's behavior or stuff like that. But it's just like the important part is that it's like at the end of the day, we do still care about each other's feelings and we're still working on repairing the connection, even when there's been a disconnect.
2: It's not like an us versus each other thing. It's like, OK, the two of us are going to combat this problem together and maybe... You feel shame in the moment, but then the two of you, like, come back together. It's like after play. What is it? After care? After care. After care. Aftercare.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think about a lot of really sort of key, pivotal conversations that Dedeker and I have had in our relationship, there's definitely a moment of someone brings up something uncomfortable, the other person, maybe both people, feel some shame about it, and then we were able to fix it and learned a ton from that. And were able to change some significant things through that. And, you know, it could be anything from how we handle chores to how we talk to each other or how we are in public or, you know, whatever it is that there is that moment of like going through shame to get to connection. And so I think yeah. that, and I hadn't quite thought of that in that way, but it makes a lot of sense when you think of it this way of, it was about repairing like making a change and then repairing the connection as opposed to just being indifferent or just annoyed at it and just kind of repeating over and over again that's really cool i like that differentiation very much
0: i think what we see online with like public shaming online I think this is why no there's repairing. so much controversy yeah. around the like, you know, Could is it cancel cancer culture? culture? Is it not? You know, I don't know. Is the fact that it's like, yeah, there's some instances where someone should be shamed and should feel shame. And so often it plays out as a toxic shame where it's like we're totally indifferent to the impact it has on this person or their reaction. There's a lack of concern for their well-being, really, and it's right. just again the like
2: shame. very easy to do when you're behind a screen yes. of a computer or something. Yeah. But yeah, and not to say that there aren't people out there that maybe should be canceled, but it is a, a broader question of what kind of shame do, would we want versus what kind of shame are we give, well, giving yeah, out there? But, well, but it's like in it's all of our relationships.
0: I think yeah, a lot of criticism. That gets leveled at like online communities is the fact that we just really haven't figured out. We got the shame part figured out, yes, we got that, like we got that a lot,
2: definitely, <laughs> but
0: we haven't figured out the like how do we then heal and bring someone back into community?
2: Yeah, you know,
0: both the person who was affected and the person who did something bad. You know, we haven't figured out how do we then
2: restore the bridge? Like our yeah, our. Listen version to Andy Iron I Eisenson and Andy Eisenson. It <laughs> yes. was like Ironson, no Andy Eisenson. <laughs> <in sin>. um, <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's
0: like we all we all just know how to burn the bridges and that's Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Anyway, so again, uh, if people are interested in learning more about this, I highly recommend that they check out the Center for Healing Shame. Their website is healingshame.com. Pretty easy. Um, They mostly do workshops and training for people who are therapists or counselors or coaches. However, they do offer a specific workshop for healing shame in relationships that is open to couples as well. And in my experience, they're fairly non-monogamy and polyamory-friendly as well. So go check it out.
1: Great. So for our patrons, we're going to be doing a little bonus episode in a couple days for this. If you want access to that, you can join us on Patreon. For that, we're going to be talking about... A sort of interesting study that tried to create a simulation, a, a computer simulation of shame and guilt responses. So we're going to just sort of nerd out on that for a little bit in the bonus was episode. It actually a fake game show.
0: <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> uh, geez, I'm seeing some shaming.
1: <laughs> were, were we I'm part of ju- this I'm just study? razzing you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we'd love for you to join us for that.
0: Thank you all for listening. We are really curious to know about the ways that shame shows up in your life, the ways that shame shows up specifically if you're in a non-traditional relationship in some way, how that shows up, how you deal with it, how you cope with it, things like that. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info@multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shunework and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.
1: You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement.